Today's the last week of this series. We've been doing a series called Hooked, kind of talking about fishing. Jesus talked a lot about fishing. He used it a lot of times in his, his sermons as illustrations. He would illustrate. He went and picked fishermen to be his first disciples. And you know, my prayer is that each week that you have more of a desire to reach the lost than ever before. Because our time is short on this earth, amen? amen? I truly believe that. And we need to do what we can to become disciple makers that make disciple makers that make disciple makers, amen? And God is wanting to use each of you to go into the world. And that is what our text is about today. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it tells us that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Amen? That's what God's desire is. That's, what, that's, why, that's why he sent his son Jesus here, was so that, that we can go out and to tell the truth so that people can be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And the only way that that will happen is if we are obedient to God's word, and we go and tell everyone you know the truth that God loves them and wants them to surrender their life over to him. Amen? Amen. You know, last week we looked at God's calling of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were on the shores with their fishing crews, and Jesus comes along and tells them that he was going to make them fishers of men. And, And I'm not going to go into much details about everything that happened over the next three years. If you want to read that story, then, then take some time and read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's lots of good stuff there for you to read and, and study and, and make it a part of your, of your daily uh, devotional time. But it will also uh, give you a more detailed look at Jesus and the disciples' relationship Three of those Gospels were written from a disciple's point of view, and it would be well worth your time to read those books. And if you're reading through the Bible with us, those books are coming up pretty soon. But I want to look at the final words that Jesus spoke to the disciples before he ascended into heaven. I want you to go to three different spots. If you're you're looking at your Bible, go with me to Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. Hold those spots. And then we're going to go to John 16 first. I'll give you just a minute uh, to do that. Matthew 28, Acts 1, and we're going to start at John 16. And you know, as Jesus was preparing to leave this earth, he is giving his disciples some instructions. And he's also spending some time encouraging them. And if any of you are like me, you don't like it when you have to leave friends and family. You ever go visit somebody, like you go on vacation and you go to this person's house to visit, right? Or somebody comes to your house to visit on vacation or or something like that, you know? I I know that Kelly, her best friend, lives in Atlanta, and we go there uh, about two or three, we get to go about every two or three years, and, and so we'll go and we'll have some vacation time and spend about a week there with her and and her her girls and 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 we'll and we'll hang out and it's always sad when we have to leave you know uh her oldest daughter is my youngest daughter's age and so they get along really good and and play so great and 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 then of course kelly and her have been best friends since high school and so it's always sad when we leave 
because you don't want to leave. You've enjoyed your time. You've, you've hung out. You've, you, wanna, you wish that it could last longer, but you have to get back to your real life, right, in your real world. And, and, and so we hate it when we have to leave, and it's not something that we want to do. We don't like saying goodbye. You look forward to the next time that you get to uh, see them. And Jesus is preparing his disciples here for his departure. He's getting ready to leave. He's preparing them uh, for his departure. If you look at verse 7, John 16, verse 7, it says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away unless I go away. The advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So the word advocate here is used for the Holy Spirit. If you look up the word advocate, you'll find this definition. Advocate, a person who acts as a spokesperson or representative of someone else's policy, purpose, or cause, especially before a judge in a court of law. So you see, the Holy Spirit has come to continue on what Jesus Christ started many years ago. He is Christ's representative living amongst us now walking with us each step of the way. Jesus was telling his disciples that it was very important that he go away so the advocate could come. It is important that we have the Holy Spirit with us. Now, go with me to the last chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. And I want to begin reading at verse 18. And this is our text for today. And uh, then we'll go to Acts chapter 1 here in just a moment. But Matthew chapter 18, I mean, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28, and I'll begin reading at verse 18. Now, some of of you, this is a very familiar passage. We know this as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So I want you to look with me real quick. Look at what Jesus says in verse 18 first. He lets his disciples know that he has been given all the authority in heaven and on earth. If you look up the Greek word for authority, it is exousia. Say that fast a few times. But it can refer to a state of control over something. It can also indicate a potential to command, control, or govern. Further, it can point to a right to control or command. The word can also refer to a sphere in which power is exercised or to a means of exercising power. So you can see that Jesus has been given the authority. So Jesus had been given full power to tell them what he was about to tell them. He wanted them to do three things when he left. He wanted them to go and make disciples. He wanted them to baptize them. And he wanted them to teach them to obey. Now, who's them? Well, the them is the disciples that he's making. He's to go there to go and make disciples. He's to baptize those disciples. He's to continue to teach those 
disciples. Now, go with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and I want you to see this, to see what he tells them. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I love this verse. It says, but you will receive power. There's something about that word, isn't there? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you look at the Greek word for power, is dunamis. And this is the same word that we get our English word dynamite. You know what dynamite can do, right? So just think about this power. It is that kind of power. Jesus gave them the authority to go, and the Holy Spirit is going to provide them with the power to go. Amen? So Jesus has given us the authority to go, just like the disciples, and that same power that lived in the disciples is living in us today. Amen? And where did that power take them? Well, it took them to Jerusalem. What was Jerusalem? Jerusalem was their home. That would have included their neighbors, their local bakery, the butcher shop, their banker. You get the picture, right? Jesus was getting personal with them. And these would be the people that they would come in contact with on a daily basis. The people they associated with on a regular basis. And it didn't stop there, right? Next he told them, Judea and Samaria. Judea was the region that surrounded Jerusalem. It might have even included Galilee. Samaria was Judea's hostile next-door neighbor, a more difficult but equally important place to take the gospel. These places were a day's journey, maybe more or less, away from Jerusalem. It might be like us today. We, we travel by car. They were on foot or camel. <laughs> It might be like us traveling to Little Rock or Tulsa or maybe even Fayetteville, those surrounding areas. And then what was the last one? The ends of the earth. This probably referred, for them, it referred to Rome or the Roman Empire, the world power at that time. And so it would represent the rest of the world. And you can see that they did it. If you look at the book of Acts, And you look at each of the chapters, you can see them spreading the gospel message in this order. Acts chapters 1 through 7, they're making disciples in Jerusalem. In Acts chapters 8 through 12, they're making disciples in Judea and Samaria. And then in Acts chapters 13 through 28, they're going to the rest of the world. They were fulfilling the calling that Jesus had placed on them, and the Holy Spirit was giving them the power to go and do what Jesus had given them the authority to do. Amen? So maybe you're asking, well, pastor, I can probably reach my neighborhood. I could probably reach my family and even people that I run to in town. But, but how am I going to reach the other parts like Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth? And see, my answer for you is missions. And that's why it's so important that we give to missions. We may not be able to physically go, but I can give so, I can give so that someone else can go, Right? And sure, there may be opportunities to go on short-term missions trips, but if not, I can give money so that God's word goes to the ends of the earth. Every one of us are very different, right? Are we all the same? Do we all have the same interest? I could ask probably 10 of y'all in here, and I'd probably get 10 different answers. What's your favorite thing to do, right? 
I mean, some of you might like the same thing, but, but if I asked the two, if I got two people up here that liked one thing that was comparison and I asked you to list the 10 things you like, you'd probably come up with 10 different things, right? Because we're not all alike. God made us that way. God made us different. He made us to be different people. That's, what he ma- that's why he made us. He made us not to have the same likes, the same dislikes, the same loves, the same characteristics. Why? Because he needed different people to do different things to fulfill different callings. Amen? God needs different people. Our differences are wonderful. They're God-given. But it's also important to remember that we have the same goal. Amen? We are all to participate in the spreading of the gospel net. Now, have you ever thought that life would be so much easier if everyone were just like you? (laughs) You ever thought, wouldn't it be easier if everybody just liked all this? Or maybe you've had the opposite revelation. Life would be so bland and flavorless if everyone were exactly the same. Maybe you've thought these things. Whatever you think, diversity is a reality. And it's not just a small thing, but it's a God-ordained and designed fact of life. Amen? A fact designed to be a blessing, not a curse. You look differently than others. You think differently. You feel differently. You respond differently. You are immersed in diversity every day of your lives, and it's all for the glory of God. Amen? Look at what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. It says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, uh, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You see, the Lord's working in and through our diversity, and all of it is for the common good. Of course, now this good includes things like loving others, forgiveness, reconciliation, justice, service. You get the idea, right? But the primary goal of all believers is to spread the kingdom net and share the gospel invitation with others. That is our goal, amen? Part of our diversity is our unique gifting, an ability to be a part of God's plan. Look at what Paul says in Romans. It's in chapter 12, verses 5 through 8. It says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You see, whatever your gifting is to do, do it to the best of your ability. It is all needed and necessary in the kingdom of God. Amen? And if you're going to spread the kingdom net to the furthest reaches of humanity, we're going to need everyone with all their diverse gifts and abilities involved. This job is way too big and too difficult for any one of us to try and accomplish alone. Amen? We can't do this alone. We need everybody doing their part. You see, the good news is we have Jesus Christ interceding for us, amen? 
We have the Holy Spirit walking with us, and we have each other working with each of us. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 28, but this time I just want to read verse 20 again. Verse 20, it says, In teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Look at this last part. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Can I read that one more time? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus never leaves us. He ascended that day into heaven. But before he did, he reminded them that he was going to always be with them. I want to show you something real quickly. I know I've been bouncing all over scriptures this morning, but I, I just I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. You know, we just celebrated Christmas a few weeks ago, four weeks ago, I guess now. And I want you to look at verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1. And we associate this uh, verse with Christmas time, but I want you to look at it today. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You see, Jesus came to this earth, was given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us, and he is leaving this earth telling us that even though he is not physically seen with us, he is still here with us. We are not alone. We have everything we need. We just have to go. Amen? There's truth to that. We're not alone. We'll never be alone. Jesus promised us that fact that we would never be alone. He came into this earth saying, I'm going to be with you, and he was leaving this earth still telling them, even though I'm leaving, I'm still here. I'm still with you. I want to conclude with this. You know, last week, I told you about the calling of Peter. He was in the boat with his brother Andrew, casting their nets in the lake, when Jesus called out to them with those 11 words that changed their life forever. Remember those 11 words? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 11 words. Now let me take you to one more final story with Peter before Jesus ascends. You see, this story is found in John chapter 21. Some of the disciples, they've been fishing all night. You ever gone fishing and fished all night and didn't catch nothing? It's miserable, isn't it? You're like, man, I just, you feel like you, if you just stay a little longer, you might be able to catch something just to make it worth it. So you can only imagine this was their job, this was their trade. Here they were that had all this excitement that had happened the weeks before. And here they were, they said, hey, let's go fishing. So they're out on the lake and they're fishing. I mean, they're fishing. They fished all night long and they haven't caught anything. All of a sudden, this guy on the shore hollers out to him, Hey, guys, if you'll take your nets and throw it on the right side, I believe you'll catch something. So what do they do? What do we got to lose? We've been fishing all night. So they pick up their nets, they throw it over, and you know what? It was so heavy they couldn't get it in. There was so many fish. I think, I think, it actually, I think John actually records 153 fish. Isn't that amazing? That's a lot of fish, isn't it? So here they are, they're pulling this fish in, and then one of them notices, hey, that's Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat, and he starts swimming to shore, because it's like, that's Jesus. They hadn't seen him in a while, so he runs out there, and he's so excited, you know. 
And as he comes to this moment, and Jesus says, hey, come on in. Bring some of that fish that you just caught. And Jesus, was he was sitting there on the shore. He was cooking some fish already for breakfast. He goes, you guys want some breakfast? Come around. Let's, let's hang out. And it was the 11, the 11 disciples that were left, minus Judas. He's already gone. So he had him come up to the shore. He's feeding them breakfast. And he kind of gets Peter aside. And he pulls Peter aside. And he starts asking. But you got to understand, too, that it wasn't a very quiet conversation, I don't believe. I believe that the other disciples could overhear what Jesus was saying. And you see, he asked Peter this question. He said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? more than these? And Peter's reply was, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, then feed my lambs. But Jesus, he wasn't done with this conversation. He asked the question again, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And this time Peter answered the same way, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And immediately Jesus responded, take care of my sheep. And he asked him the same question a third and final time. This time, Peter was hurt that Jesus would ask him this question three times. And so Peter affirmed, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Again, Jesus said, feed my sheep. And this time, he reemphasized the necessity of feeding his sheep. Jesus told Peter what love would cost in obedience You see, by focusing on this truth in the discourse, Jesus brought out the underlying question in Christian service. And although he spoke to Peter, his words were uttered in the hearing of the other disciples and could just as well be directed to everyone who would follow him. You can hear him call your name today as he asked Greg, John, Bill, Lisa, do you truly love me? Notice that in this conversation, Jesus is the object of love. It wasn't a creed. It wasn't a church. It wasn't even a religion. Jesus asked the question, do you love me? Think about this. Jesus has purchased our redemption in his own blood, and he freely offers every blessing of grace to all who come unto God through him. Simon, do you love me? There was a good reason to ask. You remember, not long before, Peter had denied the Lord three times. The memory of that tragic failure was doubtless awakened by the three repeated questions, just as the fire must have reminded him of that night in the palace courtyard when he swore that he was not a friend of Jesus. Yes, Peter had repented. He'd wept bitterly. But Jesus' question is not, how much do you regret the past? It's not, how many tears have been shed? But it's, do you love me? It is his preeminence in our hearts that makes the other expressions acceptable. Or the words might be taken to mean, do you love me more than these things? More than the comforts of home. More than the acclaim of a good reputation. More even than the work you are doing for him. Not that these things are undeserving of love, but Jesus expects to be loved more. The giving of himself for you precludes any rival to your devotion. You may not amount to much, but whatever you are, he wants it all. 
He wants all of it. You see, it's interesting that on the last occasion, when Peter affirmed his love, he added, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And with his memory of past failure, he could not appeal to his record, but he could appeal to his Lord's understanding. And that is a comfort to us. Jesus knows all about it. We don't have to explain our situation to him. In his infinite knowledge, he interprets the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knows when we truly love him. Amen? And though we continually make errors in judgment, we fall short of our desire to be like Jesus, it's still in our hearts we can do the best we know to please him. Can you appeal to his perfect understanding today as Peter did and say with all your soul, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But we have to show it in more than just words. Amen? You see, each time Peter confessed his love, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus showing, was showing Peter that love overflows in the ministry to the world. Our love for Christ cannot be self-contained. It comes from God and has to be shared. It is the kind of love that would not let us go. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Calvary is his witness. Do you remember reading that as he was hanging on the cross... The unbelievers mocked him, saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. You see, the irony is that in in their uh, derision, the scoffing crowd said the truth. They were speaking truth. 